Chapter Sixteen of Child Life in Colonial Days by Alice Morse Earl. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Needlecraft and decorative arts. Quote, she wrought all needleworks that women exercise with pin frame or stool all pictures artificial curious knots or traits that fancy could devise beasts birds or flowers even as things natural Unquote. epitaph of elizabeth lucre church street michael crooked lane london fifteen thirty seven human nature was the same in the seventeenth and eighteenth centuries as to-day waves of devotion to some special form of ornamentation either for the household or the wardrobe swept over families neighborhoods communities when we reach the days of newspapers we find in their columns some evidence of the names and character of these decorations in seventeen sixteen mr brownell the boston schoolmaster advertised that at his school young women and children could be taught quote, all sorts of fine works as feather works filigree and painting on glass embroidering a new way turkey work for handkerchiefs two new ways fine new fashion purses flourishing and plain work unquote. the perishable nature of the material would prevent the preservation of many specimens of feather work but very pretty flowers for headdresses and bonnets were made of minute feathers or portions of feathers pasted on a firm foundation in many collected shapes this work may have been suggested by the beautiful feather flowers made in many of the south sea islands perhaps an old sea captain brought some home to his wife or sweetheart as a gift the sober colors of many of our home birds would not make so brilliant a bouquet as the songless birds of the tropics especially the millions of the various parrot tribes still an everyday new england rooster has a wealth of splendid glistening color while blue jays red-headed woodpeckers yellow birds an occasional oriole or scarlet tanager could furnish beautiful feathers enough to waken the ire of an audubon society painting on glass was an amusement of more scope in england it was all the mode and some very quaint specimens survive 
simpering beauties, flowers and fruit were the favorite subjects. Coats of arms, too, were painted on glass, and handsome they were. It is not possible to state exactly the position which the study of armorial bearings and significations had for two or three centuries. It seemed to bear relatively the same place that a profound study of literature has today. The pastime and delight of cultured people. We have been amused for a few years past at the domination of color in literature. Every book title had a color word, as the red robe, under the red lamp, a study in scarlet, the red badge of courage, etc. This ideasm, as Mr. Ingleby would call it, has extended to music and even into scientific suggestion and medicine. But this attributing unusual qualities to colors is nothing new. In cotton manuscripts, a series of essays on music, 600 years old, the relation between music and color, especially in coat armor, is given. For instance, fire red was the most malignant color in arms and only third in benignity in music. All gentlefolk were profoundly wise as to the meaning of color in coats of arms, etc., and their influence on the character and life of the person bearing the arms. This interest in the study of heraldry wavered in intensity but did not die till the days of a new nation, and we find from the middle of the seventeenth to the middle of the eighteenth century that young girls in the families of gentlefolk paid much attention to making of coats of arms. Those painted on glass were the richest in color and the most satisfactory, but embroidered ones were more common. The choicest materials were used, the drawing was carefully executed, and the stitches minute. It is interesting to note that the laws of the herald were strictly regarded in the setting of the stitches. In azure, the stitches were laid parallel across the escutcheon, in jewels perpendicular in purpure diagonally from right to left and so on here is shown an unfinished coat of arms of the pitkin family which belonged to jerisha pitkin who was born in seventeen thirty six the frame upon which the work is stretched the manner in which it is mounted the handmade nails that fasten it the way the work is outlined, are all of interest. The needle still is thrust in the black satin background, where it was left by girlish hands a century and a half ago. Colored silks, 
gold bullion and thread to complete this work have been preserved with it the embroidery is on black satin and is lozen shaped as was the proper shape of a hatchment or mourning emblem and it is possible that this work was begun as a funeral piece commemorative of some pitkin ancestor such funeral pieces were deemed a very dignified observance of respect and mark of affection they had as successors what were definitely termed mourning pieces bearing stiff presentments of funeral urns monuments drooping willows and sometimes a bowed and weeping figure after the death of washington mourning designs deploring our national loss and significant of our affection and respect for that honored name appeared in vast numbers framed prints of these designs hung on every wall table china in large numbers and variety bore these funereal emblems and laudatory and sad mottoes as other revolutionary heroes passed away similar designs appeared in more limited numbers and the reign of embroidered mourning pieces may be said to begin at this time washington so to speak set the fashion familiarized with the hideous apotheosis picture or the gloomy washington's tomb teacups as set on a festal board special mourning embroideries did not seem over sad for decorative purposes and soon no properly ambitious household was without one they were even embroidered when the family circle was unbroken and an empty space was left yawning like an open grave for someone to die religious designs were also eagerly sought for the tree of life was a favorite a conventional tree was hung at wide intervals with apples bearing the names of various virtues and estimable traits of humanity such as honor modesty silence patience etc the sparse harvest of these emblematic fruits seemed to indicate a cynical belief in scant nobility of nature but there was hope of improvement for a white-winged angel assiduously watered the roots of the tree with a realistic watering-pot the devil never absent in that day from art science or literature also loomed in blackness beneath the branches but sadly handicapped from activity by being forced to carry a colossal pitchfork and an absolutely unsurmountable tail of gigantic proportions these mourning pieces were but decadent successors of the significant heraldic embroideries of earlier days 
we pass through trying days in art architecture and costume in the first half of this century and it was not until we revived the older forms of embroidery and the ancient stitches that we rallied from the blight of commonplaceness and sentimentality which seemed to spread over everything the most universal and best preserved piece of embroidery done by our foremothers was the sampler these were known as sampleths s a m p l e t h s or sam cloths s a m hyphen c l o t h s samplers s a u m p l e r s and sampleers s a m p l e r e s the titles were all derived by aphoresis from e-sampler and exampler e x a m p l e i r the sampler quote, contrived a double debt to pay unquote, of teaching letters and stitches it was in fact a needlework hornbook containing the alphabet a verse indicative of good morals or industry or a sentence from the bible the name and date and some crude representations of impossible birds beasts flowers trees or human beings though the sampler's reign in every american household was in the eighteenth century and the earlier years of the nineteenth it was the direct successor of the glories of the needlework of english women of earlier years which was known and admired on the continent as opus anglicanum the chief excellency of english needlework has even been closely associated with a high state of social morals in elizabeth's day english women still love needlecraft shakespeare sidney milton herrick all refer to women's samplers in a collection of old ballads printed in seventeen twenty five is quote, a short and sweet sonnet made by one of the maids of honor upon the death of queen elizabeth which she sewed upon a sampler of red silk quote, gone is elizabeth whom we have loved so dear she our kindly mistress was full four and forty year england she governed well not to be blamed Flanders she governed well, and Ireland famed. France she befriended, Spain she had toiled. Papist rejected, and the Pope spoiled. To princes powerful, to the world virtuous, to her foes merciful, to subjects gracious. Her soul is in heaven, the world keeps her glory. 
subjects her good deeds. So ends my story. Unquote. In the licentious days of King James and King Charles, there is little record of women's needlework in court or country, but the Puritan women, the virtuous homemakers, revived and encouraged all the household arts. There is no doubt that as a rule the long and narrow samplers are older than those more nearly square. These ancient samplers, especially the few bearing dates of the seventeenth century, are much finer in design, more closely worked, and better in execution than those of later date. The linen background is much more closely covered. They have more curious and varied stitches. Occasionally they are of minute size, but four or five inches long, with exquisitely fine stitches. Two ancient samplers are here depicted. One shown on page 327 was made by Laura Standish, the daughter of a Pilgrim father, and is now at Pilgrim Hall, Plymouth. The interesting and beautiful sampler, known as the Fleetwood Quincy Sampler, has such perfect stitches that both sides are alike. It bears the name Miles and Abigail Fleetwood, and the date 1654. It has been in the possession of Mrs. Henry Quincy and her descendants since 1750. There is little doubt that Miles Fleetwood of the Sampler was brother or nephew of Charles Fleetwood, who married Anne Ireton, eldest daughter of Great Cromwell. A splendid piece of Anne Fleetwood's embroidery was recently exhibited in the Kensington Museum. It was scarcely a sampler, for it bore a curious design in applique work of a lozenge formed by four right-angled triangles, each of a different bit of rich brocade of gold and silver figures on amber or pink ground, all worked together with curious vines and stitches. Miles Fleetwood clung to the royal cause, and thus fell into obscurity hinted at in the sampler verses. Quote, in prosperity friends will be plenty, but in adversity not one in twenty. Unquote. In the older samplers little attention is paid to the representation of things in their real colors, a green horse may balance a blue tree, and as flat tints were used, there were few effects of light and shade, and no perspective. Distance is indicated by a different color of worsted. Thus the green horse will have his off legs worked in red. This is precisely the method used in the Bayeux tapestry and other antique embroideries. 
sampler verses had their times and seasons and ran through families they were eagerly copied for young friends and in a few cases were natural composures quote unquote, or as we should say today quote, original compositions unquote. ruth gray of salem embroidered on her sampler a century ago quote, next unto god dear parents i address myself to you in humble thankfulness for all your care and charge on me bestowed the means of learning unto me allowed go on i pray and let me still pursue such golden arts the vulgar never knew unquote. to show the extent to which those lines could be transmitted let me state that they are found on a sampler in dorchester massachusetts worked in eighteen o two one in waltham massachusetts one worked in eighteen thirteen in a seminary in boston one in medford one worked in seventeen ninety in salem by a young girl of ten another in lynn on an english sampler in the kensington museum and in the diary of that boston schoolgirl anna green winslow dated seventeen seventy one there were certain variants of a popular sampler verse that ran thus quote, this is my sampler here you see what care my mother took of me Unquote. Another rhyme was, quote, Mary Jackson is my name, America my nation, Boston is my dwelling place, and Christ is my salvation. Unquote. The doxology, quote, from all that dwell below the skies, unquote, etc., appears on samplers, and these lines, quote, Though life is fair, and pleasure young, and love on every shepherd's tongue, I turn my thoughts to serious things. Life is ever on the wing." Unquote. Another rhyme is found with varying words in some of the lines. Quote, young ladies fair, when youthful minds incline to all that's curious, innocent, and fine, with admiration let your work be made the various textures and the twining thread then let your fingers with unrivalled skill exalt the needle grace the noble quill unquote. some of the verses are as short as the scant but sweet english words on the sampler of catherine the wife of charles the second Twenty-first of May was our wedding day, unquote. A sampler in the Old South Church in Boston has this inscription, quote, 
Dorothy Lynn is my name, and this work is mine. My friends may have, when I am dead and laid in grave, this neither work of mine can tell, that in my youth I learned well, and by my elders also taught not to spend my time for naught. Unquote. In the sixteenth and seventeenth centuries, it was high fashion to have mottoes and texts carved or painted on many articles where they would frequently catch the eye. Printed books were then rare possessions, and these mottoes, whether of vanity or piety, took their place. Perhaps inscriptions on various pieces of tableware and drinking utensils were the most common. Specially beautiful and interesting early examples are sets of beechen roundels known to collectors that is sets of wooden plates or trenchers carved with mottoes women dexterous of the needle embroidered mottoes and words on articles of clothing whole texts of the bible are said to have been inscribed on the edges of gowns and petticoats Quote, she is a Puritan at her needle, too. She worked religious petticoats, unquote. Elaborate vines of flowers and other scroll designs were worked on petticoats, often in colored crewels. There still exists the linen petticoat of Rebecca Taylor Orney, a Salem dame who lived to be 120 years old. It is deeply embroidered with trees, vines, flowers, and fruits on homespun linen. Silk petticoats were also embroidered and painted by young girls and are beautiful pieces of work. In New York newspapers, we find proof that New York girls were taught decorative accomplishments similar to those which were so fashionable in Boston. Quote, Martha Gaisley, late from Great Britain, now in the city of New York, makes and teaches the following curious works, viz. artificial fruit and flowers and other wax works, nuns work, filigree and pencil work upon muslin, all sorts of needlework and raising of paste, as also to paint upon glass and transparent for sconces, with other works. If any young gentlewoman or others are inclined to learn any or all of the above-mentioned curious works, they may be carefully instructed in the same by said Martha Gaisley. The wax work of Martha Gaisley was more fully detailed in a school advertisement of Mrs. Sarah Wilson of Philadelphia. She taught wax work in all its branches, flowers, fruit, and pin baskets, also how to take profiles in wax. This latter was distinctly artwork and portraits of Washington and other revolutionary heroes still exist in wax, a material that could be worked with facility but was very perishable. 
A very full list of old-time stitches has come down to us, and curiously enough, not from any woman who worked these stitches, but from the pen of a man, John Taylor, quote, the water poet, unquote, in his Praise of the Needle, 1640, quote, For tent work, raised work, laid work, frost work, net work, most curious pearls, or rare Italian cut work, fine fern stitch, finny stitch, new stitch, chain stitch, brave bread stitch, fisher stitch, Irish stitch, and queen stitch, the Spanish stitch, rosemary stitch, and mouse stitch, the smarting whip stitch, back stitch, and cross stitch. All these are good, and these we must allow, and these are everywhere in practice now." Unquote. These were doubtless, quote, everywhere in practice, unquote, in America as well, but nearly all are now but empty names. While Dutch women must be awarded the palm of comfortable and attractive housekeeping, they did not excel English women in needlework. Though the first gold thimble was made for Madame Van Rensselaer, the foremother of our American patroons, and many beautiful specimens of Dutch embroidery exist. A sample is here shown was worked by Mary Richards, a granddaughter of the famous Anaki Jans. Mrs. Van Cortlandt wrote in her delightful account of home life in old New York, quote, Cruel work and silk embroidery were fashionable, and surprisingly pretty effects were produced. Every little maiden had her sampler, which she begun with the alphabet and numerals, following them with a scriptural text or verse of a psalm. Then fancy was let loose on birds, beasts, and trees. Most of the old families possessed framed pieces of embroidery, the handiwork of female ancestors." Unquote. Pride in needlework and a longing for household decoration found expression in quilt piecing. Bits of calico, chinny or chintz, were carefully shaped by older hands and sewed by diligent little fingers in many fanciful design. A Job's trouble made of hexagon pieces could be neatly done by little children but more complicated designs required more quote, judgment unquote, and the age of a little daughter might be accurately guessed by her patchwork the quilt making was the work of older folk it required long arms larger hands greater strength knitting was taught to little girls as soon as they could hold the needles girls four years of age could knit stockings and mittens in country households young damsels knit mittens to sell and coarse socks 
many fine and beautiful stitches were taught and a beautiful pair of long silk stockings of open-work design has initials knit on the instep they were the wedding hose of a bride of the year seventeen sixty and the silk for them was raised wound and spun by the bride's sister a girl of fourteen who also did the exquisite knitting lace-making was never an industry in the colonies it was an elegant accomplishment pillow lace was made and the stitchers were taught in families of wealth a guinea a stitch was charged by some teachers old lace pillows have been preserved to this day with strips of unfinished lace and hanging bobbins to show the kind of lace which was the mode a thread lace much like the fine swiss handmade laces tambour work on muslin or lace and a lace made of certain designs darned on net took the place of pillow lace nothing could be more beautiful in execution and design than the rich veils collars and caps of this work net which remained the mode during the early years of this century girls spent years working on a single collar or tucker sometimes medallions of this net lace were embroidered down upon fine linen lawn i have infant caps of this beautiful work finer than any needlework of to-day End of chapter 16